As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals Number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As a business owner of an aquaculture company, who are the partners that you have in your business? What are the criteria you use to maintain relationships with these partners? That's what we're going to be talking about in today's episode. Welcome to episode 12, season 7 of the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This episode, we are happy to have one of our speakers for the AquaConnect conference happening in the fall. Welcome to the show, Mr. Olin Klaff. Thank you for welcoming me so warmly. Not uh, something I always get. So very nice. <laughs> Mr. Oren Claff is the managing director of Intersection Capital. Oren is one of our business partners who's also in charge of advising companies seeking to raise capital. He's also the best-selling author of the books Pitch Anything, which is required reading in Silicon Valley, and the second book Flip the Script, where he gave readers powerful tools to help them get what they want. In our last episode, we have Mr. Sunil of the OceanFoundation.org. He's an independent consultant, educator, and speaker in the ocean and environmental governance. But for now, welcome again to the show, Oren. Thank you. So I'd like to ask the first question, and this may be a funny question to you, but I thought about this when I was thinking about how serious is the industry you're in. So I, make a, I wanted to make it a little bit light. And the question is, If your investment banking firm had a mascot, what would it be and what qualities would it represent in terms of your company's values and culture? Wow, what a great question. Uh, so I think, you know, a lot of people, they immediately go, oh, our mascot would be a rhino or a bulldog or a buffalo. But I think for us, it would definitely not be a parrot because we have to keep secrets. Uh, and so I think about it. It would be some kind of a uh, uh, you know big but not too big cat. You know, cats are stealthy, they're quiet, they're powerful, they're observant. Uh, they try not to say too much, but then when it's time to act, boom, they go. I love that, and I have a Siamese cat, so that's dear oh, and yeah. dear to my heart. <laughs> Which leads me to my second question. Very good visual on what a cat is like. How does your firm strike a balance between maintaining client confidentiality and showcasing successful deals to attract new business? Yeah. So our contracts have an have a, uh, a agreement in it that says uh, on success, we can advertise 
we'll ask for your permission, but we can advertise using uh, the the credentials of the deal we did with you, and they cannot be unreasonably withheld. And so we ask for permission up front that if we succeed together, we can tell the world about it. Otherwise, we have to keep all our successes secret, and it's really hard to advertise. I like that, that it's proactive and then they're not surprised in the end if something leaks out or what have you because they know the expectations well ahead. Which right. leads me to my next question. If you could travel back in time and give one piece of advice to your firm's founders when they started the business, what would it be? Yes. The piece of advice that I would give is uh, in the very, very early stages, we invested years in building relationships. And at the end of the day, we built good relationships, but they're like, you, they, they weren't very useful for deals because no deal really fits a relationship. So the reality is, I, I finally learned from my partners, capital flows to good deals. And so if you have a good deal, the relationships will build themselves automatically around the deal. It's just impossible to hold enough broad market relationships for you know any deal. Uh, so you the deals will attract the relationships to them in real time. That's the advice. Of course, relationships are important, but not to invest all your time just building relationships. The, it's more transactional in this business. The, the transactions bring people into your universe, you close it, and then you go, oh, we like working together, let's try and do something else together if the opportunity arises. That's how you build relationships. You don't go and build relationships without a deal in hand. And that's very maverick because a lot of people, obviously, cliche talking about build relationships and then business will come. It's almost like people talk about the three capitals, right? Financial, relationals, or social, and then intellectual property. And people always think that to get ahead in any deal is you have to build the relationship capital first. But it's the I, opposite of everything. Yes, I completely agree with that. You have no idea what deal is going to come down the pike, what you're going to... The, the deals, you know, tend even if it's in an industry, they tend to have specialization, and you know, or somebody just doesn't have capital overhang for that, or it's too big, or it's too small, or it smells too good, or too bad, or it's the growth is too small, or um, it's too much debt on it. It's just who's to say what is right for which firm ahead of time. It's very transactional. So yes, be a good counterparty, have a great deal, and then work um, to build relationships with the people that are at the table to do something way too hard to try and build, uh, um, you know, in essence, like network and then put deals into network. Sounds good. But which leads me to thinking about one of the lessons that I learned from you would be sometimes to not put people in pedestal, not to be needy because having to treat them as an equal is a great negotiating thing to do and so how do you strike out in terms of let me give you high level questions first before we go to the data but some people can get passed through the data which is mostly the transactional side of things so how do you balance that out yeah i think it's good like i had a call today which was data 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 right which fine you know very smart so so one i think 
there's two kinds of people who ask for data, right? One is people are actually experienced. They need the data to form an opinion. And that was a guy had day, right? There's other people who are um, just trying to sort of control the deal, right? And hide that they, they don't have capital or they don't have captive capital or they're not very knowledgeable about it. So you can see the kind of data they're asking. So actually, we, we, have, we had one of each of these in the last two days. And you could just see by the questions, right? Uh, and I'll land the plane here. But, but one guy is asking a lot of data, but it's on point. It's incisive. He knows what he's looking for. It's inside the numbers. It's obviously based on experience, right? And you can see the, the requ data requests, while they're a bit invasive, they're on a thread that you can see. And it makes sense why he would want that information. We have another guy doing due diligence on a different deal. Um, you know, how many times have you done this before? Have you done it for a pipe? You know, what if you if if we have an event at your facility? Um, how much are napkins going to cost? Um, are you you know do you know what the weather is going to be in July? Um, the how much is catering? Um, you know what what kind of catering do you get? Uh, the you know what so just just a, a panoply of unrelated questions that aren't on a thesis. They're just intended to be sort of uh, fodder for tools for negotiating, right? Oh, you know, you said the weather in July was going to be, you know, hot and sunny. I'm looking at a weather report right here, and it says it's going to be cool and rainy, right? You, um, you're, you're, you know, you're inaccurate. A more like a, a better example of that is um, you've never done a pipe in. Um, in uh, water-based, a different water deal, you know, in water-based industrial robotics using non-venture capital. You have no track record in that. I'm like, well, who does? Like, you don't even have a track record in that, and that's what you do, right? <laughs> so, you know, I was trying to prove, uh, you know, a negotiating point where somebody else just wants to drill down, you know, get data. But in both these cases, there's a limit where you go, great, like, we could talk about this all day long, but you haven't told us anything about your ability to perform, right? And that's where they're like, well, I'm like, yeah, we're, we're not looking to just spend hours and hours and hours giving you information, and then you come back uh, after all that and go yes or no, right? We want to have a really early understanding of your ability to perform, you know, given all this data, we're, we're, you know, so suspend disbelief here's some basic data points. Here's some information about the deal. Suspend disbelief that um, the, the, you know, we have the other data and it makes sense and it's on thesis and you'll be excited by it. And, you know, the underwriting for the business model is, is solid. What can you do with this deal? What are you able to perform on from your side? What are you looking for? So, so um, you can get, you can have people uh, ask questions and be, um, you know, you can, you can be responsive, but at some point they have to tell you what they're capable of. So you got to find that, find that line. And that is a gold mine of a recommendation because I think sometimes, um, that what makes or break the deal is because sometimes people feel like they only have to be on the receiving end of the information and as someone who's looking for money sometimes we forget that we also need to find 
about the investors themselves. So my next question is, what's the most unexpected or entertaining client interaction or story that your firm has experienced, which showcases, oh the, <laughs> which showcases the dynamic nature of the investment banking industry? Okay. So it's really cool because um, we have a client now, uh, Radford. Uh, uh, it's Radford.co, and they're a supercar manufacturer. Sorry, I know aquaculture is amazing. Even we have an industrial robotics firm. You know Nick. You may even know Nick um, from a while ago. But we have this uh, Radford.co, and the, um, the CEO of that firm is a well-known celebrity from the Discovery Channel. His name is Ant Anstead. Uh, he's on a show called Wheeler Dealers, and we watch that show. So my son and I went up on a Saturday to go meet with them, and I was giving them a presentation. And we walk in, and you know, my son sees one of the characters from a show that we watch on Discovery. He's like, "Hey, right?" Uh, and then uh, the the cool thing on the thing, he had some kids uh, at his age as well. He was very nice to him, gave him a book that he wrote for kids, and he said, uh, um, "Do you like racing?" And Etcher said, "Yeah, you know, I I race go karts." He said, "Oh, and you watch Formula One." And Asher goes, yeah, I watched Formula One. And then uh, Ant and Ant Anstead says, um, well, who's your favorite Formula One driver? And Asher said, it's Max Verstappen, you know, who's the current, like, Michael Jordan of Formula One. And Ant goes, would you like, takes out his phone, would you like to talk to me? He's a friend of mine. And uh, Asher was like, no, 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 no. It's like, it's too, you know, too, too much for a nine-year-old to deal with. But that was, like, one, I think, for me, one of the highlights of um, you know, we see a lot of a lot of software companies, a lot of med tech companies, a lot of AI, a lot of uh, you know AI software hosting. So to to be like have a popular culture company like that was very exciting. One of the perks. <laughs> One of the perks. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So my last question is: In a hypothetical scenario, if your firm were tasked with solving a global issue beyond financial matters what problem would you choose to tackle and why how would your firm leverage its expertise to make a difference yeah so oh my gosh i mean the earth the people of earth are really um screwing things up at an amazing rate so i think it's more like what are the things i'm not that connected to like ai uh like I get a robots are going to take over and Skynet and going to die, but I don't, we're not very passionate about trying to fix that subject. So um, the the um, gas engines, you know, we love gas engines, so we're not really like big EV protagonists, even though that's an important thing to fix. Um, we love going to Costa Rica and we love these like eco farms and sustainable um, farming. And everything like that, which I know is a business you're in, but we're not sort of putting our money into, you know, trying to figure out how to scale sustainable farming on a global basis. So I'm just thinking through, uh, you have species loss, right? So you're going to lose all kinds of things that are very sensitive, uh, small things, you know, that, that, um, penguins and, you know, moving because of warmth and polar bears. And I guess. I feel very empathetic about that, but it is going to be very, very difficult from where we are in Southern California to help the polar bears. And a lot of people might say that's that's not true. I think I think climate change technologies 
which you know the the big you know terra size earth size climate change technologies are the things that we would throw our you know weight and and energy i guess i guess we're we're good at telling big stories right so whether whether it turns out they've got to send mirrors into space you know to reflect some sunlight um whether we have to put those you know reflective balls in all the water whether we have you know have to go extreme you know water conservation i think the things that really are going to make a difference over generations on just absolute temperature are the things we're most that was a long answer to a short question but it's a tough question i had to talk my way through it but I, but I, but i really feel like the things that are going to affect the net increase in temperature are the things that we would focus on sorry point. sorry polar bear, sorry, polar bear. <laughs> You guys are awesome. <laughs> But uh, good point, though, on big yeah. stories where you resonated, which yeah. is what your company kind of stands for. Well, thank you so much, Oren. My biggest takeaway from our conversation is when you were talking about um, relationship is attracted to good deals. So that's very much opposite of what I originally believe, as you know, because I'm big on relationship. But that's really kept my thinking hat on on how to move forward. So how can they get in, a, that, in touch with you? Oh, sure. Um, you can get in touch with me by um, calling Lourdes' personal cell phone <laughs> and, saying, uh, and then talking to her for half an hour and then she'll make a good judgment call if we should talk and then she'll make a personal intro. But if that doesn't work for you, just could hop over to orncleff.com and uh, read a couple things there, see if we're fit. And uh, if we are, shoot an email over to me and someone here will take a look at your email and uh, figure out what, if anything, we could be doing together. Sounds great. Thanks again, Oren. And to our listeners, please remember to review the show and see you next week. Remember, you help build a home in the Philippines every time we launch an episode on the podcast. Thanks again, Oren. Amazing. Thank you for listening and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.